Amen. Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here this morning. It's great to see you. Thank you for being here. So very glad to have those who are visiting with us. And it is an honor and a privilege to have you. We, we hope to treat you well, to make you feel welcome. And uh, we want you to know you are always invited at any opportunity you have to be with us. So very thankful to have those joining us online uh, who are with us every week or maybe are new today. We want you to know we care about you and we're here for you. We so much appreciate your presence. And if you need something, be sure to reach out to us. Have you ever heard the phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast? You might tend to hear this in a workplace setting, at a, at a conference, at a workshop, in, in, in management, uh, writing, something like that. It's, that. That phrase is attributed to Peter Drucker, the, considered the, the father of modern management. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. What do you think that phrase, that sentence means? What does that sound like it means? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's used in a lot of settings. If you Googled it, it's been talked about and used in many, many different ways. But I think it's uh, really important. It really says something about how important culture is. And, and what it's saying is that culture is so important that you can have a strategy, but if your culture won't support a strategy, then your strategy isn't going to work uh, very well for very long. In other words, culture trumps strategy, okay? And, 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 and one, one author, even really the way he referred to it is organizational health. That's a little different, but the concept of culture, culture is supposed to sustain and support and be, and be what uh, a strategy comes out of. A strategy is an outgrowth of culture. I mentioned last week that culture really, if we think about it, is how we think, how we act, and how we interact. How we think, what is it we believe, what do we uh, buy into, what, do, what are our goals, uh, what do we understand, what are our beliefs. And then how do we act, how do we act not only uh, here, when, but when we're not assembled, when we're scattered. How do we act and how do we interact, what is that interpersonal relationship like. And that is what defines our culture, what we think, how we act and how we interact. And that culture will eat any strategy for lunch. In other words, it's going to be more powerful than any program or strategy. You know, it's common to have, let's do, a, let's do an evangelistic program. Let's have an outreach program. And those are fine and good. But if your culture won't support it, then your strategy won't work very well for very long. Does that make sense? So what we're talking about is the atmosphere of the church, the, 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 the culture of the church, who we are when we're together. And today we're going to talk about who we are also when we're scattered, when we're not assembled. Uh, so that, makes us, that might make us think, well, so is, is strategy not important? Do you not plan? Do you not come up with, with a program or a ministry, whatever you want to call it? That, that statement, that concept, culture eats strategy for breakfast, is not saying don't plan, don't have a game plan, don't have a strategy, don't program. That's not what it's saying. It's just emphasizing how important your culture 
is, and this is true for a church, for a giant company, for a small nonprofit, uh, for a school district, for a hospital, for any workplace setting, there is a culture there. And that culture needs to be designed in such a way to sustain whatever strategy may be put forth. Uh, so we're talking about, though, what is our atmosphere when it comes to who we are outside of this assembly together? Uh, who we are in other places. We've been talking about who we are internally, and that matters, but the culture will dictate also who we are outside of our assembly. In 2015, the Barna Group published a research project that they did with ACU, uh, and it was called Christians at Work. And that may or may not be hard to see, but I, I wanted you to be able to see the whole list if you're able to see that. But at the very bottom... Uh, I want you to. I want to point something out on the chart. What this is is how self how self professed Christians answered this question: What are Christian responsibilities in the workplace? That was the question put forth, and so this is a list of all their responses uh, to this question: How what are Christians' responsibilities in the workplace? Now, there's good news in that about half of the respondents were regular attenders and said that their church helped them understand how to live out their faith in the workplace. But this, this, this chart of responses also lets us know there's some real need here uh, because only 24% of respondents said that it was completely important to share the gospel. That one ranked last in the list of perceived responsibilities that this in those those in the study that these Christians believe they had responsibilities they had in the workplace. Only 24% of them believed that it was completely important, very important, to share the gospel in the workplace. So, of all the other responsibilities are important. There's a list of great uh, responsibilities that we ought to feel responsible for. All of these are good on the list. I just think it's striking that the lowest one, and only 24% believe that really, it's really, really, really important that I share the gospel in the workplace. Uh, so the thing is, if we don't get the gospel right, then, then we're not the church. That's what differentiates us from just a nonprofit that does good works. Do you see? The gospel is what sets us apart. In Abilene, there's the Christian Service Center, and they do all kinds of benevolence and financial training and financial aid all kinds of great, great, great works. Now, I'm sure some of them would, if given the opportunity and, and chance that they would share the gospel. I have no doubt that that happens. But they don't exist to do that. They exist to do benevolence in the community, and they do an outstanding job. Uh, but, but the church can do some of those things, but what makes us who we are is that we communicate, believe in, and communicate the gospel. That's the core of who we are and what we do. That has to be core to our culture. The gospel is what differentiates us. Now, there's another, another study that uh, the Barna Group did a few years later in 2018, and it was about what spreading the gospel means to U.S. Christians in the 21st century. And the findings are really interesting. 51% of respondents uh, had never heard of the Great Commission. Now, now, maybe they heard, but that phrase, the Great Commission, didn't ring a bell to them. 51% of respondents in this study, self-professed 
Christians. 25% said, I've heard it, but I'm not sure what it is. I don't know what that word means, that phrase, but I've, I've heard Great Commission before. 25% didn't even know what it was. 17%, only 17% knew what the Great Commission was. Only 17% of respondents in a study of self-professed Christians actually could say, yes, I know what the Great Commission is. That's not good news. <laughs> that's not good. That, that's not a good indicator. So if we were to put these two studies together kind of in a rough application, then it helps us understand why only 24% in the first study, only 24% believed it was very, very, very important to share the gospel at work. Only 24% did. Why? Because only 51% uh, uh, had ever heard of the Great Commission. All right, so then only 17% actually knew what it was. So if only 17% actually knows, knew what it was, then that says, that helps you kind of understand, well, why is, I believe it's important to share the gospel so low on the list of responses. Does that make sense? So it tells us that we've got a crisis here. And, and, and one person wrote uh, a book called The Famine in, There's a Famine in the Land. And that's what he was uh, uh, talking about. Is there's a famine when it comes to the Word of God and people knowing the Word of God and actually being fed the Word of God in church, believe it or not. Because many are sadly going to all different other kinds of things instead of feeding people the Word of God. And if people aren't fed the Word of God, and you got to do that on your own too, not just depending on the church to do it, but if you're not being fed the Word of God, then you have no Word of God in you to use in your life when you're out in the workplace or in the community or on the baseball field or whatever. You see how that works? And so what does faith look like in the workplace and in other areas of our lives outside the church? I think Paul helps us understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be today. Let's read this. It's verses 7 through 11, then we're going to jump to 14 through 21. For we walk by faith, Paul writes, and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, that is jam-packed full of stuff like Paul loves to do. He can pack more into a one sentence or a few sentences than almost anyone else. So how does this help us know what faith in the workplace and other areas looks like? Well, let's, let's just kind of walk through it. Look at verse number 9. First and foremost, the Christian needs to have as a fundamental uh, uh, belief and core conviction uh, uh, that they are going to please Him, God. That their, their aim is to please God. No matter where I am, if I'm playing basketball with my friends, if I'm on the bus, if I'm uh, in a serious high-stakes high meeting, if, if money is on the line, no matter what, my aim is to please Him. Do you see how that just, that's, that's your compass right there. That tells you which way to go. No matter what is happening, my aim is to please Him. No matter what the temptation or the challenge, my aim is to please Him. And that settles a lot of things, doesn't it? When my aim is to please Him, then it, then it settles a whole lot of issues in my life. In fact, it makes things a lot, lot simpler. Now, it may make things maybe difficult that you have to face because the, the stakes are high, but it clarifies instant clarity in your life. It clarifies what you're going to do. My aim is to please Him. That's how we're supposed to live. Then Paul says in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What does that mean? What does it mean, knowing the fear of the Lord? We don't talk about that a lot uh, because oftentimes we just hear how God wants to bless us and he's, he's granddaddy in the sky and all those kinds of things. When we get that type of talk about God, how much he loves for and and all of that is tr true. He's not granddaddy in the sky giving you candy all the time, whatever you want to make you happy, but he wants to bless you. He loves you. All of that is true. But also, see, we have to have a full grasp of, of God Almighty and who he is. There is a sense of we've got to fear him as well. Why? Because Paul says uh, one day we will stand before him and receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. We're going to stand before the judgment seat one day. We're going to be judged one day. And because of that, we need to have a proper, healthy fear of this God, our God, who we are going to stand before. But that fear is also mixed properly with love, as we've looked at in Deuteronomy uh, before. And so because of that, Paul says, therefore, we want everyone to turn to God and be saved. We want people to turn to God because we know one day we're all going to stand there in the same spot. And because of that, we want people to come to Christ. So jump down to verse number 14, and we'll see why the Christian should be motivated to share their faith with others. What does Paul say? For the love of Christ controls us. Do you see that? For the love of Christ controls us. That word control, uh, your translation may see uh, may say constrain or govern. It guides us. It, it's our ruling uh, 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 factor. It's what governs who we are and what we do. That love of Christ is supposed to constrain us, control us, guide us, govern us. Now, this means that it's Christ's love for us, uh, not our love for Him. 
That, that's important to understand. Now, why is it important that it, we, we understand it's his love for us and not our love for him? There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. Uh, Paul said in Romans 8, 35 and 37, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through what? Him who loved us. So it's His love that must govern us, not our love for Him. Why? Because God's love for us won't ever change. We may, we may worry that it does. Sometimes our guilty conscience may, 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 our emotions may make us feel, how could God love me? And that's the gospel message. He does, even though you're unlovable, but he can't help but not love. He loves you no matter what. See, his love for you won't ever change, no matter how bad it gets or how far you get from him. He, he will always love you the same amount. But what does change? Our love for him can change, right? Because you can fall away. You can. Because our love can grow cold. And Hebrews talks about having a hard heart. Don't let your heart get hard. And, and, and other places talk about bitterness. Don't, don't let that happen to you because our love for God can change. But his love for us will never change. So it's significant that, that it's his love for us that governs us, that constrains us, that controls us. Look at the rest of verses 14 and 15 in 2 Corinthians 5. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who, might, who live, meaning uh, they've obeyed the gospel, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's a powerful, powerful uh, verse that, 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 that Paul wrote there. When Jesus died for all people, it involved all people. Because now... Some are going to not turn to him. We're all, it, it, it immediately meant we were all dead in our sin. No matter what, it, we were dead in our sin. There was no hope for uh, any uh, eternal life or salvation with God until Christ came and took our sins on him and was raised again. And those who, didn't, don't, who don't turn to him remain dead in their sin. Those who do turn to him are made alive in Christ. So he died for all, therefore all have died because sin uh, is death. So some would remain in dead in their sins, and that's what this ministry of reconciliation is, is to communicate them to them the gospel. Some will turn to him and live. But look at the motivation of the person who follows Jesus in verse 15, that they no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do you see that? That's important. Because we're talking about who we are when we're assembled and who we are when we're scattered, when we're gathered and when we're scattered. And this, this verse is telling us that we live our lives, remember, to please Him. Our aim is to please Him. So we live our lives for Him who for our sake died and was raised. And, and again, that gives us instant clarity on everything in our life. How we handle temptation, what we do on, on a date, what we do and where we go and the things we participate in and, and our character and our integrity and our reputation and, and all of those things and the choices, the decisions we make, it, it, it clarifies it because we live for him who died for us and was raised, no longer for ourselves. Paul would talk about that in Romans 7, of course. So 
Paul is telling us that no matter where we are or who we're with, the Christian is to be governed by, constrained by, controlled by Christ's love for us. Now, when we are a group of people controlled by, governed by Christ's love for us, do you see what that does for the atmosphere of the church? That does something to the culture of a place, doesn't it? And so you can have a bad culture and say, well, we need to reach our neighbors. But it ain't going to work very well for very long because the culture among the members isn't right. It's not one that doesn't live for themselves but for Christ. It's one that lives for themselves and not for Christ. You have this dichotomy that you've got to choose between. Am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for him who died for me and was raised? So Paul tells us that when uh, we do this, we know, he goes on to say in verses 16 through 17, that when, we're new, when we are Christians, we're new creations. We no longer look at people according to the flesh. We no longer look at people in the way based on the world's standards and the way the world tells us to look at everybody, to, 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 to look at all their externals and, and size them up as to how important they are, how unimportant they are, or do I like them, do I not like them. He said that's the world's standards. He said we look at people from a new worldview, a new perspective. Uh, remember, he says you used to look at Christ that way. They looked at Christ in, the, in that physical, earthly way. And he, wasn't, he didn't fit the description of the Messiah, their belief of what the Messiah should be. We're not supposed to look at people in an earthly way, but in a godly, uh, Christ-like way. Why? Because we're new creations. And when you're a new creation, your outlook on everything and everyone is different. So Paul tells us uh, about our mission in verses 18 through 21. He goes on to tell us about our mission. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, Paul writes. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God saved us or reconciled us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And do you see how Paul... This we looked at this in class when Wes was teaching this morning in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul will restate things in different ways. He uses repetition, and he uses this throughout his letters. So, so look for that. It helps you have a, a, a better grasp of the, uh, the Scripture when you see, oh, Paul said it like that over here, and over here he's saying it this way. And then a few verses later, he might say the same thing, but maybe a little bit differently. He's this constant reiterating the same points to help us understand, to get it through our thick heads and our hard hearts sometimes, I think, what he's trying to get across to us. And, and so uh, our sins separated us from God, Isaiah 59 tells us. And because of God's love for us, he made that sacrifice of his own son on our behalf. And, and so we can, be we can be united, made right, reconciled with God through baptism into Christ. 
And so it's through Christians that God continues this ministry of reconciliation, that he continues to get this word out to people. Now, we can't get God's word out to people if what? If I don't have his word in me, if I don't know anything about the word of God, how can God work through me in the workplace and in other places in my life? You see that? I can be a nice, good person. I can have, be a good example and do good things and, and, and might know a little bit. But my job as an ambassador, as someone who is responsible for this ministry of reconciliation, is to have the word in me so it can flow through me to somebody else. Do you see that? That's how that's supposed to work. And so God uses us and his word, his church and his word, to spread the gospel. That's, that's an important responsibility that we have. That's, that's a fundamental to who we are and what we're about. And so uh, it's through, through Christians that he sp- continues to spread uh, his, his message because we're, we're his ambassadors and that's our mission. An ambassador is someone who, who represents someone, uh, a king or, or a president or a, a ruler so on their behalf. They represent and communicate their message. And that's who, that's who God has made his people to be. Now, verse 21, I like how Paul explains how Jesus' death on the cross allows us to be reconciled with God. I want you to see this. This is the good news right here. Paul states in a different way. In different words, he tells us the gospel message. Look at verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it shows this tremendous sacrifice and the extent to which God went to in order to save us, to reconcile us, to bring us back into a relationship with Him because our sin separated us from Him. And once we have sinned, we cannot be in God's presence because He is a holy God. And so He had to do something in order to get us back. That's how much he loved us. Instead of saying, hey, fine, forget them, I'm moving on. He said, no, I want them with me. What can I do? What bridge can I build, as Wes taught this morning? What can I do to get them back in a right relationship with me, to reconcile this? Because sin has been committed. And he said, the thing I've got to do is to sacrifice that perfect sacrifice, my son. Now this was, uh, the Bible says, the plan before the foundation of the world. It wasn't something he just thunk of all of a sudden. It was always the plan to restore his people to him because he's omniscient and, and knew what would happen and had this worked out. Why? Because of his love for us. So God made Jesus... To be sin. In other words, he took on all of our sin on him on the cross. God regarded and, 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 and treated our sin as his sin on the cross. Does that make sense? He, he looked at all of us and he said, I see all of your sin and I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it on my son on the cross. And I'm going to say, that's your sin. You're taking this on you on that cross and you're going to pay the penalty so that we can save them 
That's what he did. And, and, and so the, then what does it mean when he says so that we might become the righteousness of God? Well, first of all, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He became that curse for us. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Sounds exactly like what Paul just said. By his wounds you have been healed. And then Paul wrote, uh, uh, so that w- in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, I just said that he, tr- he, he, he treated and regarded our sin as Jesus' sin and put that on him on the cross to pay that penalty for us. And how did we become the righteousness of God? Because then he takes the righteousness of his son, that's his and not ours, and he gives it to us when we become Christians, when we follow Christ. Do you see that? He took our sin and said, I'm going to take that off of you and put it on my son so that you can turn to him and see what I did and believe in him and give your life to him so that you can obey the gospel, be baptized into Christ through the uh, watery grave of baptism, raised to walk that new creation that he just got done talking about. And I'm going to take the righteousness of my son, that perfect sacrifice, And I'm going to attribute that to you. I'm going to place that on you so that you can stand justified so that his righteousness will bridge, bring you across that bridge to be in relationship with me. That's the gospel message that Paul just gave us. That's the good news. And that ought to make us jump with joy and say, hallelujah, thank you, God, because of what you've done for me. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. That's what it means to stand right with God, to be justified, to be reconciled. That's how we're saved from our sins. And that's done through, we hear that gospel and we say, what should we, what do we do with this? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Washing away your sins, calling on his name. I think that helps us understand the atmosphere of the church is not only who we are here, but it's who we are out there. And it's what we talk about and the things that we do and the influence that we have and the op- taking advantage of the opportunities uh, that we have. God has given us this ministry. You didn't know you had a ministry, did you? God has given you a ministry. And, and well, who do you minister to? Well, you minister to people in here, but you minister to people out there too. Well, where? Wherever you go, whatever you do, at, in the school, in the hospital, in the doctor's office, in the dentist's office, on the bus, on the team. I don't know wherever you, I don't know where are you, whatever you do, that's where you're supposed to do your ministry. We see that right here in Scripture. You're that ambassador to carry that message uh, to others. Another study I found um, from Barna, it said that uh, those who had at least one conversation about faith with somebody came away more confident and eager to talk with others. Isn't that neat? I don't know about you, but that, that, that might kind of gives you a little bit of hope or encouragement or helps, helps maybe put you at ease a little bit. You know, you know I, I, can talk, I, I can do one. I can try one. I can try it one time. And you try it that one time, and most people came away saying, I can do that. 
I can do that again. Even if they weren't interested, I, I did it. Uh, we talked about that again this morning in class, just trying something that, that you're scared of that makes you nervous. It, that, that one conversation, maybe it's just inviting them to church. May, maybe, it's, maybe it's just, well, I'm going to pray for you about that. Maybe it's sharing a verse. You know what? I was reading this this morning in my daily Bible study because, remember, we study God's Word so we can pass it on because we're His ambassadors. You know, I was reading this this morning, and it said this, and I just want to encourage you with that. Maybe it's a text or an email or something like that, but it's conversations with other people. And then you walk away thinking, I, I think I can do that again. It gives you confidence. And so now you build that up. Slowly but surely. Some of you may be faster than others. We're all different, different personalities, but everyone can do that. And what we, what we find is that when you do that, you have more confidence to do it again. And you have a little bit of eagerness to do it again. Because it, it kind of ends up being a little bit fun. Scary but fun, right? And then before you know it, it's natural for you. Before you know it, it's easy for you to go to, to do like Jesus did at the, with the woman at the well and just talk about spiritual things in a conversation to weave that in as you have opportunity. I want to encourage you to do that. If you're in healthcare, you're interacting with patients and coworkers on a daily basis. You have patients who are in pain and have fear and need comfort and hope, and you have coworkers who are stressed out and frazzled and, and frustrated and overworked perhaps. And they need words of comfort and hope. You may be in the school district and you work with all kinds of people, kids and parents and administration and all kinds of things. And those principals, right? I can't believe those principals. you got to work with some of these principals. <laughs> but, you know, you, they, people around you need to know that you have faith. And your faith isn't just a sometimes Sunday morning faith. Your faith is something that defines who you are. You don't have to walk around preaching and hitting people on the head with the Bible. But when you have those opportunities, you take advantage of those opportunities to speak words of comfort and hope and, and God's word to people and encourage them to invite them. I talked with Matthew Vaughn recently, and he's been in great conversations with people of different beliefs about God and His Word, and what does the Bible actually say? What's, what's true in the Bible? So he's taking advantage of opportunities that he has to talk with people about the Bible. See, God calls His followers to be His ambassadors. I want you to look at this uh, thought on this last slide. God calls His followers to be His ambassadors. Those who represent Him well in their communities, and take up the responsibility, the call of their ministry of reconciliation. That's, who, that, that's the kind of atmosphere that we want, one that we live like that. We understand our role is to be His ambassadors in our community. And imagine what difference that starts to make. And many of you do that very, very well all the time already. We can always be encouraged, encourage one another, Get better and do more of that as, we, as God gives us opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity that He gives us to, to give. This is, this is the most important message in the entire universe, and we have this message. And He says, I just want you to be my ambassador and represent me and, 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 and deliver my message. That's what I want you to do. And I put you in different places all over so that you can do that in all these different places. That's what God calls us to do. 
That's the kind of atmosphere, the culture. And when we do that, then strategies like reaching out to our neighbors and others, those things start working well, long-term, more effectively, because it's a part of who we are and what we do. If we can help you this morning, maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. You're ready to put off that old self and to put on that new self, be made new in Christ. You're ready to be reconciled with God. Maybe you've fallen away and you just want to be restored. You want to get right with God. You know you hadn't been as faithful in various ways. You, you want to be faithful to God. You want to do this. You want to live out your faith. You love God and you've been letting things get in the way. And you want prayers. You want our prayers. We want you to know we're here for you. Maybe you need prayers for one other reason. We want you to know that this church is always here for you. If there's any way we can serve you, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.